0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. It's been a very interesting morning trying to record this because between airplanes being rerouted over my house to construction outside to even a few birds and then someone mowing the lawn across the street from my house, there has been a lot of noise. So here we go again. So at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, our focus is exclusively on the area of discipleship because everything rises and falls on it from developing leaders to multiplying ministries and churches and the mission of Jesus around the world to great worship to healthy community, you name it. And so our mission very simply is to transform culture, church culture, through the multiplication of deeply changed leaders and disciples. And we recognize it's a, it's a whole culture that's got to be shifted if we're going to develop deeply changed men and women. And so today we're going to look at one of the most important discipleship passages in the New Testament, that from John chapter 6. It's after Jesus has healed, has uh, been healing, and then he multiplies the loaves and the fishes, and uh, 5,000 men, probably 10,000-plus people with women and children uh, are now following Jesus, and there's great excitement. They want to make him the king. Uh, and then Jesus begins to give this very hard teaching. At the end of this hard teaching, he utters what are considered... Some of the sad, seven saddest words of the New Testament, and basically, it's uh, and they never walked around with him again. Uh, this massive loss of disciples is just such a tragedy uh, because they they never followed him again. It says in scripture here, and they missed the excitement. One of the most this the most significant moment in human history: God coming to earth in a person of Jesus. His dream for their life, uh, you know, the community excitement that which would unfold in the decades to come. Uh, they missed out on God's dream for uh, them, themselves, in the same way God's got a, a dream of calling on you and calling on me, and he invites us to follow him and to stay with him. Uh, and so we talk here, and I talk in this message you're going to hear in just a few moments on the nature of true discipleship, uh, which uh, has a couple of qualities to it, and it allows Jesus to strip us of our projections and illusions of who he is. Uh, which is really quite a challenge. We start out with some illusions, which aren't bad, and but the whole Christian life is one of God stripping us of them and uh, helping us to see who he really is, uh, how much larger and higher he is. Uh, and he moves us on, and he's trying to move the crowds on to who he really is. He talks about being the bread of life and eating and drinking his flesh. And, and then secondly, there, there's an ongoing radical transformation and reorientation that is involved in just being a disciple of Jesus at every phase of our journey. It's not just when we come to Christ, but the whole, our whole lives are one of allowing him to shape us and reorient us and it's frightening. It's, it's this unknown, it's where are we going? And uh, that's why the 12 were so unique. They were willing to stay with Jesus and uh, following Jesus can be very confusing, very disorienting and uh, offensive is the word. Uh, and, but Jesus tests us, or he, he matures us, he grows us from time to time. He brings us into these difficult, impossible situations. Uh, he boxes us in because he's maturing us and growing us and taking us somewhere. And this great passage ends with, you know, him saying to Simon Peter, you know, do you want to leave too? And the 12, and, and, G, and Peter just responds, you know, the Lord to whom shall we go? Uh, and he stays with Jesus. Even when it feels lousy and all the good feelings are gone and he remains and he patiently perseveres, even when it feels like a waste of time. And so uh, you're going to hear a message here that I gave recently on this passage that I've been pondering for quite some time. And uh, before you do, let me just invite you to, uh, to check out our website, EmotionallyHealthy.org, because we've just released something we've been working on for over six months called uh the, it's an online experience of how to bring the emotional and healthy discipleship course to your church it's a level one training it's now an onlo- online downloadable experience for you and your team uh that you can use over and over again over the years it's it's tr- a tremendous breakthrough for us uh, because, again, we're committed to bringing a serious discipleship to your ministry and church. It's just the only way the kingdom of God's going to go forth. We follow Jesus in this way. And so our contribution is offering some high-quality content and some training on how you can actually do that in your church and ministry. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org and check that out. So let's go now to John chapter 6, to this message on seven of the saddest words in the New Testament. Enjoy.
1: Thank you. Please be seated, everyone. We're so glad you're not at the beach today. Well, I think it's cooler in here than at the beach, so, so glad to see you. So, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter six. Uh, John chapter six. If you've got your phone, find it in your phones, all right? As well. And our, our title today, very simply, is the seven saddest words in the New Testament. Maybe not the, but among the seven saddest words, perhaps in the whole Bible. So let's let's pray before we begin, and uh, let's bless Rich, who's continuing on a sabbatical, and we trust he's meeting God and is going to come back, you know, just fresh, having heard from God. I think as he gives leadership to the church, and uh, we're excited for him. And it's what a great summer we're having as well, and uh, it's wonderful that the church is just as strong and solid as she is. Um, it's a real testimony, I think, to what's happening here. So let's pray. As today's, today's message is a, is a grown up message, it's an equipping message it's for the long term that I pray you'll tuck away in your memory if you're not in it right now, but you will be. Uh, and, uh, but to equip you to live a mature and actually very full life. So the theme is discipleship. So let's pray as we begin. <clears throat> Lord, all of creation, all all, uh, uh, speaks of your glory and gives us a glimpse into your presence. And uh, Lord, how much more uh, does scripture, the very words of scripture, Lord, are revelatory, are powerful, are just ushering your presence in our midst. So Lord, give me grace, help me, Lord, to make simple, just a little section of the depth and beauty of your word. And may we see your beauty today. Uh, in this text. So speak to us, I pray. Speak to me, Lord. And may Jesus, your name, be glorified uh, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 All right. Now, being a Christian is a lot like being a a mason. My son-in-law, my future son-in-law, as of two weeks from now, is a mason. And uh, so I've been learning a lot about the mason industry. Now, masonry goes back Four, five thousand years, if not longer, one of the oldest professions in history. So we've got things like the pyramids. I mean, they're still standing, like five thousand years later. Uh, they were built so well by masons in, in that day. And we can think of medieval castles and bridges and farmhouses out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, built masonry, and they just—they're solid. They're, they're still standing. And uh, so, if you become a mason, uh, you've got to go through a process. You become an apprentice. You kind of jump jump in there, and you 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 uh, you know you're you going to learn some basic things, and then and you graduate to a journeyman or a journeywoman uh, as you kind of get into it, another four, five, six, seven years, and then eventually you you graduate to be a master mason. Uh, take can take over ten years easily, um, and. Uh, But while you're an apprentice, you're you're kind of learning the basics. You you kind of jump in, you got to learn the names of things that when someone says, hey, get me that tool, you know what they're talking about, you know, and, uh, you know, levels and trowels and axes and different types of chisels. And and then you got different types of machinery and cutting tools and all that. Then there's different types of mortar, different colors and mixtures of ratios of sand and lime and cement. Actually, gets quite technical, you know, and they had different types of stone and, that comes from different parts of the world. has got names for it, and then you learn about foundations and how do you lay the stone and how do you cut the stone right and how do you prepare the mortar and the concrete and then you shape it and fit it together and then you all these different installation techniques and lines to measure. I mean, it's quite amazing. It takes years, and so if you're in it, you know you become an apprentice and tradesperson. Then you basically like you, you're making mistakes and you're, you're hitting situations you've never encountered before, and you. So you're constantly going to those who've been around longer and say, how do you do this? You know, how does it fit? And you're learning. And, uh, but you're learning a language. You're being initiated into a, a, the craft of masonry that goes back thousands of years and it's got a long history. So you're, kinda, you're getting initiated into this whole new thing. It's really a lot like being a, a disciple of Jesus. When you come to Christ, you're, you, you come in as an apprentice. You come into this world. And remember, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, John 15, 16, that you might go and bear fruit. I, I got a plan for your life, but I chose you to be basically an apprentice to me, to be a follower of mine. And it's going to take years, a very long process, and, and uh, there's so much to learn in this thing called discipleship, you know, being a Christ follower. And, and you know, and, and there's 2,000 years of church history. So many have gone before us. You know, how do I, how do I pray, you know? And, and uh, how, how do I talk to God? And how do I listen to God? And, and how do I pray with other Christians? And how do I do the Lord's Prayer? And how do I do intercession? What about spiritual warfare? And how do I do stillness before the Lord? And how do I read the Bible? How do I understand scripture and Sabbath and rhythms? And how do I deal with trials and difficulties and setbacks? And how about my enemies, the people I don't like? What do I do with them? How do I mean pray for my enemies? And how do I deal with conflict? How do I be a parent? How do I be a parent of adult children or small children? How do I be married? How do I be single? Um, you know, how do I discern God's will? I mean, it's a zillion question. This discipleship thing is so large, and, and, and so we kind of move through a process of 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 being an apprentice to Jesus and being discipled, and it's very slow, very long, and we hit situations where we get stuck and we need help, and that's really what we're doing at New Life Fellowship Church. Like We're in this kind of thing together following Jesus, and we're always apprentices, right? We're always learning. We never kind of graduate from that, but hopefully we get to a place where we're like master masons, helping other younger folks follow Jesus. And, but what's happened in masonry has also happened in Christianity. Because it takes so long to develop a master mason, it takes years, and it costs a lot of money, I mean, training these people. And, and then when you lay stone like as master masons, it's a big job. So, for example, that's a job that my son-in-law is, is on in Australia. So you, you can see, look to the left here, so you just See this the, is like the, 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 um, the walkway. Now, you see how big those rocks are? I mean, they are big, all right? man. They go 80, 100 pounds each. And then you can't really see it so well here in the shade, but you see the rocks there, over there? You know, they're, they're like, they're big, big pieces from a quarry, and they, they got to cut them and chisel them. It just takes so long, and, and then you see that house they're building there, I mean, it's it's all—it's masonry. It, that thing is going to stand for a very long time, but it's obviously a massive project. So because ma- you know, to do real masonry with real stone is so challenging, so over the years, uh, what's been developed is something called stone cladding. Basically, you don't use these big, heavy rocks. You kind of look, you create a surface, that you basically chisel you have two options it's called stone cladding kind of a veneer on the left side they take the big big stones and they cut them into like half inch or two inches wide and so it's small and you can you kind of just attach it to the front of your house so it looks like it's holding up the structure but it's not it just it's just to look good on the outside and now they actually have even a a cheaper see this woman here she's putting up stone cladding that's not even real stone that they cut into small pieces. That's like made in a factory with chemicals, you know? And they painted it and all that stuff, and they, they put it on. And, and honestly, if you look at developments anywhere in, in the country, for example, you look closely, it's almost all stone cladding. And people pay a ton of money for it. They have no idea. It's not real. They think it's holding up the house. No, it's gonna crumble like the rest of the sheetrock someday, you know? And, so, so here's my, so actually what we did in my house, we did our, our house is hundred years old. So we put siding on it, like finally a real siding. So we put some stone cladding around the door. That's fake stone. Doesn't that look good? So when people come to my house, they go to the front door. We just did it just around the door. And you understand the people who did it knew nothing about masonry, nothing. They, they just, you can learn it on YouTube. To put it in, it's cheap, it's quick, it's inexpensive. I mean, not like my son-in-law's doing in Australia. Weeks and months to build that house. This, they did this in two hours. And so now it's so funny because people come to our house and say, wow, man, Pastor Pete, whoa, man, this is like serious, like rich. I said, yeah, it's nothing, you know, it's just a little, <laughs> little stone, you know, a little stone. you know, But it looks so impressive, right? But it's stone cladding. It's not the real thing. So, we have a lot of stone cladding discipleship, especially in the West, in the American church. It looks super on the outside, looks good, feels good, feels like a blessing. But actually, it's not structural, it's not made of the heavy stuff, it's not the real masonry, the real heavy discipleship that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. It's actually more informed by the culture than it is by Scripture. So we're going to re- pick up this passage here in John chapter 6, where thousands, and here's the context of this passage, uh, thousands and thousands of people are flocking to Jesus. Uh, as, and they're followers of Jesus. They're, they're called disciples, actually, in the text. Uh, but they're stone-cladding disciples. All right? Now, they're following, they're, they're leaving their houses, and, and in this case, uh, they've uh, they've seen Jesus multiply the loaves and fishes, which it says is for 5,000 men, but actually it's not counting the women and children, which is probably ten to 15,000 people. So they've just seen this miracle of loaves and fishes, and they're like, oh my gosh. Like, they're like crazy following Jesus. I love Jesus They're following him. And, and, and again, understand, God all through human history has been reaching out to the human race, reaching out to us, but God finally came in the person of Jesus and came to earth. And when Jesus is speaking Never has anyone spoke with that level of authority, ever, in human history. He's raising the dead, you know, opening the eyes of the blind, the deaf, and, and uh, you know, cleansing lepers. I mean, it's unbelievable. Those who touch the hem, everyone who touches the hem of his garment is getting healed. Demons are fleeing, and the, and the disciples are multiplying. He's got a massive crowd of disciples following him, thousands and thousands. And so, in this passage, they're all following after him. Then finally, Jesus turns and he starts to speak to them. And he gives a sermon. Now, he starts to speak things like, I'm the bread of life who's come down from heaven. And the more he speaks, uh, the more offended everybody is becoming. Until finally, at the end, in verse 66, it says, From this time Many of his disciples came out from behind him and never walked around with him again. And those, and never walked around with him again, to me, are among the seven saddest words in the whole Bible. Thousands. Now, I've preached some bad sermons in my day. People normally don't walk out at the end fast, they don't do this. They may be disgruntled, but they don't say anything. Imagine, just imagine you're there, and all of a sudden 10,000 people leave and say, I'm finished. I quit. And Jesus then turns in verse 67. Well, no, he turns to the 12 disciples left. He goes, Well, do you want to leave too? Do you? He asks the 12, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, they're in that tension moment about, Are we going to be stone cladding disciples? like basically 10,000 who just left, where do we stay? And he says, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, like there's no, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about, what's going on right now, but where are we gonna go? We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Like We know you, Lord, we're staying right here, and then Jesus makes a point there about Judas. But this is the text I want us to focus on, and I want you to really take home with you today is, from this time, many of his disciples came out from behind him and never walked with him again. The reason this is so sad, everybody, is because I mean, these people, the word, behind, the word behind is actually not in the NIV or versions you read, but that's actually in the literal text uh, in the original language. That See, the understanding of a, a Christian is someone who is a disciple. You can't be a Christian and not be a disciple. You come to Christ, it's all by grace. And then we're a disciple. We're we're, we're apprentices. We're learning from him. And the image is that Jesus is walking around, like he's moving. Jesus is going somewhere. And what we are, we're behind the word, we're behind Jesus. And where he goes, we go. Like I'm not in charge, he is. And I'm behind him. And in this case, these thousands were behind him until now they said, no, 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 no. We didn't sign up for this. We're done. Their stone-cladding discipleship comes out and, they, and the word never is what's so interesting. They never walk with him again. I wonder what happened to them. You know, they go back to the synagogue and say their prayers three times a day. You know, they kind of went back to what they normally do, but, but they were done following Jesus as disciples. And of course, the 10 the 12 hang in there. So, so to be a disciple is to be behind Jesus, following him, not in front of him, but behind him. So, so here's, here's some of the things that Jesus has been saying that uh, are so offensive you know the the people begin complaining is this joseph son of joseph whose father and mother we know how can he say he's saying things like i came down from heaven like what do you mean you came down from heaven you're right here we know we knew you in elementary school okay we know your family not much to speak of you know and and then so jesus just jesus just kind of keeps going and he keeps making things worse and the more he talks the more people want to leave And uh, very truly, I tell you, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. I mean, hello, hello, we're gonna eat you now? Is this cannibalism? Like, like, I mean, like, okay, you know, raise the dead, you know, do some miracles, but this is ridiculous. And and it says that, Jesus says, they said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And aware his disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? They're offended by it. Now, have you ever been offended by Jesus? He just, he's doing things like, like, why are you doing this? Why are you allow it? I had someone first service say, I'm offended all the time by Jesus. Why doesn't he stop the suffering over here? Why is he letting his name be maligned over here? Why is he so slow and moving? Why does he let this person get in leadership? You know, all this kind of stuff, you know. And uh, yeah, I so, said, yeah. And so, so they get offended Until finally they just say, you know, we're out of here. Yeah, this is, this is, we did not sign up for this. And so they missed the excitement, the crowd. They missed, they missed the most momentous moment in human history. God's in front of them. The God of the universe is right there. And they walk away. I mean, think of the excitement of what was coming. I mean, their future, what they missed. What was going to happen? Events that would change all of human history. And they were so close. They're from Capernaum. They're from the neighborhood. And here he is. And they're offended because he's not doing things he like. God's not doing things the way he should be doing it, as far as they're concerned. And, uh, oh, if you really, I I just imagine them going back to their house, getting all religious, opening their Bibles. But they ain't following Jesus. You know what I'm saying? They're, They're not following Jesus. They'll be religious, but they ain't following Jesus. Not the way Jesus wants to get followed, and um, you know I think of the, the twelve disciples stayed. I think of Peter. Peter guy was a fisherman. He ends up leading the thousands of people in Jerusalem. He, he changes history. Think of Thomas, apostle, one of the twelve. He goes to India. He plants churches in India. They, to this day, if you're from India, you, they honor Thomas in India as the founder of the church there. You know Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, former tax collector, probably the most read piece of literature. In all of human history, same with John. I mean, I mean, they wrote things. Revelation, the insights, their visions they got. I mean, their whole lives took them places they never would have dreamed because they were real stone. They they were real disciples. They they stayed even when everyone else is quitting. And out of that, they got so much revelation and insight. So there's a great lesson here. What makes a real disciple, and what makes like a stone cladding one that may not stand the test of time. That, and so I'm, I'm going I'm, to... Listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm applying this to me, all right? Now to that, because there's so much in this text. Because we're always in this situation with Jesus. Because you understand he's always moving. And I'm behind him. And it, it's scary sometimes because I'm not in control. So here's the two questions. Real discipleship allows Jesus to do two things. One, to strip us of our projections and illusions of who he is. To strip us of our projections and illusions of who he is. So in this case, well... Let me ask you: Who is Jesus to you? Who is God? What is God like for you? Because your answer, everything hangs on your answer to that question. Your whole direction of your life hangs on that question. What you're gonna, how you pray, what you do each day. Now, in this case, the the the, the, the massive crowds, they're so they got this view of Jesus. They're so excited that it says in verse fourteen of this chapter. Uh, they see all the miracles he's doing, the loaves and fishes, and it says they want to grab Jesus and force him to become king, like a, like a physical king, so that the whole world would know about Jesus. And let me tell you something: you try to manipulate Jesus, and what happens? is The text says Jesus withdrew from them. You try to manipulate Jesus; he pulls away from you. I mean, Jesus is not going to be manipulated by them, but they got a view of Jesus as it's like that's all wrong, and uh, Jesus pulls away. and And uh, we all have ideas of who is Jesus. And it's normal, right? And we, 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 it, it comes out of very often, uh, whether it's projections from our family of origin going back generations. Uh, it may be teachers or parents or mentors we had that maybe taught us or did some things that were off base. Uh, and uh, that distorts our view of God. So for example, maybe you, you had a, a family of origin and you know, a father that was distant and wasn't close at all. And, and so you're like, you're like, "God, my Father, I feel like he's distant. You know I do something wrong, and it's like he's never around anymore, and he's mad at me and he's pulling away. and you know I, I grew up in a home with a lot of beatings and you know, all that, and I just remember I, I came to Christ, and I, I was into the love of God, but when I messed up, I was getting ready for a shot. And so part of discipleship is getting stripped of these wrong illusions and projections about who he is. So I know for myself, I was really into the abundant life. I, you know, Jesus said, I promise to give you abundant life. You'll have it abundantly, John ten ten. I love that verse. <laughs> I became a Christian, God, abundant life, you know? And so I had a picture of what he was going to be like for me. And then all of a sudden, I'm going through trials and valleys. And I'm like, hey. Hey. You said, abundant. Well, he said a lot more than that, obviously, than just abundance. So it's kind of like, you know, we come in with these illusions. And uh, it's like when you, when you, if you've fallen in love with someone, and, and if you have maybe been married, you, know, you fall in love with someone, and you're like, I've never met anybody like her my whole life. Like him, he's perfect. He doesn't have any flaws. He's incredible. He's a dream. And it's all an illusion. You're in love, you know. <laughs> these, these chemicals have taken over your brain. And then maybe you marry this person. And then after like three months, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> what did I do? This person is a beast. <laughs> and your illusions get shattered because you actually love this person based on an illusion. It wasn't really them. It said probably more about you than it did about them. Tend to, you go for, I know people that leave their jobs. They go to a whole new profession. I'm going to be a professional cook. I'm leaving my job. I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to New Hyde Park to a culinary school. And great. Or I'm going to be a doctor. Or I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a social worker, a therapist. And they go plunging into it. They have this illusion of it's going to be phenomenal. Life's going to be so different. Then they get the job and they're like, oh, my God. This is horrible. I got to work nights. Nice. The pay is this low. I mean, people don't appreciate I mean, and it's a shock. Because they started with an illusion of what this thing, you know, would be, and they found out. And of course, it applied. I, When I first became a Christian. I went to I went, first church I went to, and I remember people hugging and kissing, all friendly and warm. And they invite I, I was a you know university student, and invite me over for free food at lunch. I'm like, I'm going, I'm going for the lunch. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, oh my god, everybody's so loving. And then I got to know them. And I was like, oh my gosh. I had no idea. I thought my family was bad. These people. They got, you know, some stuff here. But so, so projections and illusions, they kind of come with the early excitement. They're not really all bad, actually. Uh, it's not like it's a waste of time. But the whole Christian life, listen, I'm still working through my illusions. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus still is expanding for me. Like, whoa. Like, like it comes a time to move on. It really does. It's time to grow up and go to the next level and, and, and move on. And I'll be honest, I, I've been in this a long time. and So this, it never ends. Do you understand? Because God is so much bigger and higher than you could ever imagine. When we say his ways are higher than our ways and thoughts are higher than our thoughts, you have no idea what that means. That is, I mean, it's infinite the distance of what you can figure out is good. And, him, and it's like, we're not even on the same planet, everybody. I mean, he's that big. I mean, God is not good. You can't control him, manipulate him. You can't, like, put him in a box. I mean, he's not like any finite thing. You say, God is good. God is good. You, have, when you say God is good, you're thinking of human terms of good. You will spend eternity grasping how good God is. God is love. He was crucified for us. The crucified God on our behalf, shed his blood for our sins, rose from the dead. I know that. Oh, you don't know anything. It's so good deep. It's unfathomable that God would come after us and die for us on a cross. I mean, it's incredible. You know, so, so, you know, theologians have written about for centuries that, do you understand, we see through a mirror dimly right now, we see Jesus, right? Traces of him in scripture now in service and throughout the day in creation. God's always, God's coming to us, or we see glimpses of Jesus. But someday we're going to see him face to face, But when you see him face to face, you're not going to fully grasp him like, I got you now. No, I mean, you're going to spend all eternity learning and growing in knowing Jesus. How big he is, how vast he is. In other words, if you knew, if you could contain Jesus, you'd be God. No, we're creatures. He's God. And so just imagine 100 billion years from now, you're still going to be growing in Jesus. Like learning more of that will be in heaven, you know, sin, but it'll be, but but we're always going to be growing and progressing of the glories and wonder and beauty and vastness of Jesus. And so the Christian life as a disciple is I'm always on this journey of growing and in a sense letting go of my projections and illusions into the next phase of what, what God has for me. So when you're disoriented and confused, that's a good thing. Because he's, he's stretching your heart wide enough to receive, to actually receive more of him. And uh, that's why when some people say, I quit God, I'm leaving God, I'm done. And sometimes I say to them, that's good, because the God you're following is not the true God. That's an illusion God. And so the, more you get, the quicker you get rid of that God, the closer you'll get to the true and living God. That's why for some people, to leave God is actually close, the best thing they could ever do to find God. Because they really are they're following some kind of a weird God. That's not the true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just I get stripped of my projections and illusions of who he is. There's something else going on, too, it's, and it's related. I'm also allowing Jesus to radically, that's the key word, radical, radically transform and reorient my life. Now, the word radical, if you look up a dictionary, it means completely, drastically, at the root. Now, listen. I mean, uh, that, that like these, this cr- these crowds of people are not—they're not, not going. I didn't—I didn't sign up for this. Where are you? What are you doing with me? What are you trying to make me? Are you trying to change everything about me? Well, yes. Like I'll be unrecognizable. How about that? I mean, at the root, you gotta. Yes. It's really. It's like scary a little bit like it's like an adventure like where are we going like what are you doing like absolutely and and, you know scholars have wrestled for centuries why did jesus choose those 12 guys like why that like they're kind of like losers if you look at them in terms of academically and in terms of earthly they don't have much of a pedigree or i would have picked the rich young ruler myself he had some credentials he had money he had he had a good social position he was sharp could make it happen climb the ladder I would have taken a Ph.D. from the University of Jerusalem, some good Pharisee who knew the Bible inside out, you know. Would have saved me a lot of time having to teach the Bible with this guy, right? But he chooses these guys. And, and scholars have said the reason Jesus chose them of all the other people on earth was they were totally willing to be shaped by Jesus. They were just, they didn't, they were just, they were going to go with Jesus, come with men. And we see this in this passage, they stay. They're like, we don't know what's going on either, Jesus. But we're going to stay with you, and they're willing to let Jesus radically transform and reorient that life. Like, I say that because a, a part of me, like you know, like I'm—I kind of—I'm like Jesus. Like I think I'm okay right now. My kids like me. My wife likes me. I'm kind of happy. Let's not change too much. <laughs> and so what happens? I—you can have a quiet time. I do my time with God in the morning and. I spend time in silence, I sur- yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I read the Bible, it edifies me, you know, I'm good. I'm in church, I'm in worship, yes. But do you understand, and I, and I go out into my day and I, I feel more centered, I feel anchored, I feel I'm a better, I'm a nicer person, I'm less triggered. But do you understand, all that's about me. Do you understand, like, it's like I'm not saying transform, like, yeah, do you, anything you wanna do, Jesus, just take it apart, yeah, just do it, whatever you want. Transforming, like, no, I did that, like, a long time ago we did a lot of transforming like I think we're done now we can just like seal it up and we just keep going and now I become a nice religious person you gotta I read my Bible I go to church I give my money but I'm just basically my spirituality I'm in control of it do you understand like I'm following Jesus on my own terms and Jesus you cross that line I may be out of here all right don't mess with me, you know? And so, you know, it's a great question. Am I serving God in the way He actually wants me to serve Him or the way I would like to serve Him? Let me give you an example. Since Jackie's over there, let's say I'm mad at Jackie because Jackie said something last week to hurt me. So I say, All right, Lord, Jackie crossed the line. I'm, so she's now my enemy. I don't like her. But I say, Okay, Lord, I'm gonna, when I go to church on Sunday, I'm going to say hello to Jackie. I'm going to greet her because I'm a Christian.
0: So I come to church. I, Hi, Jackie. How are you?
1: You know, and I just go uh, on. And so I, I, I sit in my first row here. I'm, we're in worship. I'm like, Jesus. I did good today. But you understand, I just did it. I served Jesus my way. I, I, I made it. I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is all you're going to get from me today. I'm going to say hello to her. It's very different than coming to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't stand her. Okay. I'm, I can all this anger. But Lord, this is... Lord, I, I bring myself to you, Lord. Lord, I'm going to pray for her now as my new enemy, okay? I'm going to pray for her. Lord, give me love of my heart. Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me approach her today? Well, that's a very, you know, me because it brought out something in me that's scary. Where'd that come from? Lord, deeply change some root stuff in me that maybe I'm not even aware of. But, but here I am. Like, that's a different prayer than the first one. And I realized I could do the Christian life right now, especially if you're around in a while, you, you got it down. You can do the thing without actually letting Jesus deeply, radically transform you at the root. Because that is the whole Christian life. We are being slowly transformed by Jesus. But that is what it means to be a disciple. And I'm like, wow, that means the future is like really open here. Like, Lord, I'm ready to like, let's just settle down. And just, no, no, we're just... You're following me. You're behind me. And you go where I go, and you're open. You're allowing me to continually, radically transform your life. And I, I'll be honest, I'm, that's like a little scary to me. Like, you know, I'm getting older now. It's one thing to say it when I'm 22. But this age, my gosh. So it's kind of like this. I, you know, I, I, I did a big study on how canals work. Have you ever seen a canal, looked at the whole process, the Panama Canal? Well, the way it works is you got two bodies of water and different levels, heights. And so canals are amazing because then a ship comes in, you see there at the top, and the ship goes into what's called a lock area, the middle. And the ship goes into the lock, and then it gets kind of stuck behind these walls. The walls close in, and then the water fills the lock. You see that in the middle? And then they're able to go to the next body of water that's a different level than the first body of water. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? The engineering, I mean, I'm like, who, who created this? Like, what engineers crafted that? You can imagine a, the size of, like, the Panama Canal. And so it can go either way, right? You're, at a, you're, you're, at a, you're in a body of water that's really high, but you've got to go across into the other ocean that's a lower, and so you've got to cross this land and go down, but you're, but you're in a ship that weighs tons, steel and iron. Like, how the heck? And that's why they created these things called canals with locks. Now, as I thought about it, do you understand? Like, the Christian life is like that. You're the ship. And you see, you can't see that that, that's a gate. The gate's open there uh, because now they're about to leave the, the lock. But when that gate was closed, they were trapped in there for a long time. So then the water would slowly rise or go down so they could move to the next body of water, all right? So when you're in a lock, when you're in, this, in that confined space, it's like a prison. You can't move. You feel like you have no perspective of oceans or two different bodies of water that, that God is taking you someplace new and this old place is gonna end. Like you can't see it. All you know is right now I see I see stone on the right, stone in front, a locked wall in front of me, behind me. I'm just trapped, and I'm restricted, and I'm miserable, and I want to get out of here, and I don't know when this thing is going to end. And uh, But then somehow, through no effort of your own, if you stay with Jesus, before you know it, the gate opens, and you find yourself in a different plane. You're like a, like, how did I get here? How did I... How did I not just know about God, I actually, like, know God? I don't even believe in God anymore because I know God. Like, I just know him like I know that you're standing there. Like, how'd that happen? Well, it happened because God led you through a series of locks. And you're throwing the... And so what the people did in this story was, because they had stone clad discipleship, they basically climbed over the side and said, I'm out of here. No more locks for me. But here's the thing, the whole Christian life is moving, in a sense, higher and higher, or lower and lower, however you want to, but he's moving you on to new places. You're following Jesus. He's, he's redoing your image of him, but he's also redoing you. And he's, he's training you, and he's, he's moving you to an apprentice to become a master, mace. He, he's working you, and the way he's gonna do it is through these canals. And you're saying, I don't want to be in a lock. I know, I don't either. Well, when's it going to end when you die, okay? And, uh, death is like the final one, and then you wake up and you see him face to face. But this is the Christian life. And, but Jesus loves you so much. He loves those the crowds so much. In John 6, he so wants to transform them utterly and reorient their lives and set them free. God's got a dream for your life. Do you understand? That's why he's doing all this stuff to you, stripping you and moving you into locks and the confusion, the disorientation, because you really don't know what's best. Like, you don't know. Like, it's really him. It's trusting and following him that leads to life. It's so counterintuitive. The world thinks you're crazy. But he says, Jesus, just trust me with this. Just stay with me in this. Don't quit. Don't be stone cladding. Let me make you a real rock that weighs 100 pounds. And, and uh, But he's going to bring you to impossible situations and where you're just, oh, what are we doing here? And the 12 at that moment were in an impossible situation. So, but here's what they do now. From this time, imagine many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So the thousands walk away. And it's interesting, Jesus is not upset about it. He's not like shaken by it. He's not even surprised by it. Because he understands there's gonna be a lot of, remember the parable of sower and the seed? Different kinds of soil. Three fourths of the soil is like, don't stay. And it's actually, it's a parable written to believers in church listening to the word of God. Jesus is not surprised. There's going to be a lot of stone-cladding discipleship. But he's seeking to make real, true disciples. But the 12, you don't want to leave too, do you? Like You want to quit? You want to leave? Like He's not going to force you and put a gun to your head. He loves you. It's a love relationship. And Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know, it's like... Honestly, the longer I know Jesus, the less I know what's going
0: on. I don't know.
1: And I probably understand a little teeny thimble of God. I can't imagine seeing him face to face. I just there's so much of God. I study scripture it's like have I ever read this bible before in my life? There's such depth in here. There's so much. And you no, know, we've come to believe, we come to trust and to know that you're the holy one of God. Remember you can know about God or about something and not know it. A lot of head knowledge is very different than really knowing it. So you saying To become a to, the true disciple, you, you know it. So yet all hell is breaking loose. Life is falling apart. World War II just broke out all around me. But I know God is good. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him. That's, that's a deep knowing. That's where he wants to bring you, but you can't get there unless you go through the locks. It's, it's, just, it's a process, it's like they had to go through. So, so here's my little invitation for you. There's a, in this sermon, in the middle of this whole discussion with the crowds, the crowd says, what must we do to do the works? Actually, the word plural is works, God requires. They want to give us all, what, what does God want from us? You know? And again, it's plural in, in, the, in the original words. In the Bible, it's works. Sorry, I typed it wrong. And um, works, like, should I, you know, give money, go to church, uh, go to small group? Oh, what, what, just tell me what I got to do. I'll do it. And Jesus says, listen, there's only one thing you got to do. And he said, you want to boil down the whole Christian life to, like, the center. What is the center of this thing? And Jesus says, the work, and it's singular. It's one thing he says. It's not works, plural. It's one. Just do this one thing. It is to be trusting. It's, it's to trust. It's a word's present tense. That you're always trusting in the one he has sent. Like, that's it. Like, okay, Lord. Like, you know, I don't know. I'm offended. I'm disoriented. I, I don't like being in the, this dark place of the, of the you know, this, the pit of this lock in the canal. And I'm confused at what you're talking about. And why is all these things going wrong? And why is so-and-so mad at me? Where are you? I'm going to trust you, Lord. You know, God, i got my finances. I'm struggling. In New York, it's expensive. My parents, you know, they're sick. My, my kids are not going well. You know, my, my marriage, my singleness, my, my future, where am I going? Trust me. Come to me. Come to me. I just, my, my life is, my whole life is, in a sense, waiting and trusting in Jesus. Because, you understand, you're not in control. You're not running the show. It's He is. And the life and transformation and freedom and truth is found in that simple place of trusting. Actually, one scholar translate the word. You can translate the word to trust in Jesus, to relax in Jesus. Try that for us. Just relax. Wow. Think of all the anxieties you're carrying. Through. Just, all right, Lord, I'm going to relax in you. Wow. You know, Judas finally got fed up. He stayed with it at this point. He made it through that lock, but he got he got this cross, the crucifixion thing. It just got too crazy. He just left. I, I see Judas as an as incredible like warning to all of us. Like, like hey, let any man, let every one of us take heed, lest he fall. Like, like the grace of God, we are by we, we are we are like like he's the biggest example of a wasted opportunity his whole future, what he could have been, and just the despair of that. But he just, he got out of that trusting at, at moment by moment, day by day, I'm actually living in this place of trust. That is it. That's why friends at New Life, we're always talking about, hey, silence and stillness and Sabbath and being in scripture and taking a course like the EH discipleship course and, and you know, being in small groups and we're building this community. Why? Because we know there are enormous voices Coming at you, powerful to split from Jesus. Don't trust him. He'll wreck your life and it's a lie from the pit of hell. But Jesus is actually bringing you to a better, greater, wider place. He's enlarging your soul. He's freeing you. And He invites you to just trust me. Just stay with me. Persevere in staying with me when everything in you wants to climb out of that lock and get out of here, like the crowds did. So let me invite the worship team to come on forward. And um, with human beings, Jesus said, "How can I?" You say, "How can I?" I'll never make it, Pete. I, I, I'm not going to be able to follow, like to stay with Jesus like this. Well, this is what Jesus said about discipleship. He says, "With human beings, i it's on a PowerPoint here." Is yeah, good. With human beings, this is utterly impossible that you could follow like this and stay with Jesus and trust Him. But with God, absolutely everything is possible. That is great news. With God, absolutely everything is possible. I wonder if I just stand with me. And um, God has a dream for your life. Can I hear an amen for that? You may not believe in God's dream for you, but He does. And He loves you too much to give you everything you want. Because you know some of that stuff is not the best for you. But He invites you, just trust me. I'm the living God who created heavens and earth. I saw you in your mother's womb. I see the end from the beginning. I see the ocean I'm trying to take you to. I know you can't see, just trust me in this thing. I promise you, you'll make it to the other side. Let's sing this together just get our eyes on Jesus and let's offer our trust and hopes in Jesus, the living God, together.
2: I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God the still inside the storm, the promise of the I trust the power of your word enough to seek your kingdom first beyond the barren.
1: Like to, I'd like to invite the prayer teams to come forward to your right, and uh, we're going to have just an open prayer time here. And uh, if you right now are in a confined, tight space, you're in a lock, and a part of you, maybe you came in here today and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to keep going on this one, you know, and a part of you is just, you want to jump, you know, but God brought you here today to hear this message because, again, He loves you and He's bringing you someplace. But we need each other in this journey. We 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 need. That's why we, God created the church. We need community. We need fellowship. We need prayer from other people. So we've got some prayer teams that are going to pray for you. I want to encourage you to come for prayer. I mean, listen. There are times, I just need someone to pray for me. I'm like, please. And you want to? Don't be embarrassed. God re- resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just coming for prayer is an act of humility and brokenness. So just don't be. Just come up and get prayer. The Lord's Supper is over here. The bread and the cup and. Actually, the application of the passage, we eat and drink of Jesus through the sacrament of what we call the Lord's Supper. We, it's a way to feel and actually taste of Jesus, that you are my life. I can't live without you. Abiding in you is the only place of life, and it's affirming that physically, not just through words. So come and partake of the Lord's Supper. All right, so I'm going to invite you. We're going to close. Open your hands up like this towards heaven. And maybe just close your eyes, take a nice deep breath. Now, the reason I love silence so much, you know, it says that all the earth be silent in Habakkuk 2.20. That all the earth be silent, because sometimes our words are just insufficient. Just silent before God who's so much bigger than our minds or spirits can contain. And they say his, his, God's first language is silence. And so now receive a blessing as we close our time today. So may the Lord expand your heart. As a container, may he enlarge it so you might receive a greater revelation of who Jesus is. You might see him. His love by the Holy Spirit might be poured out into your soul. May God, the living God, fill you this moment to overflowing. And may you, like, like Peter and James and John the eleven. may you be solid rock discipleship. May, may He grow you and do a miracle in you like He did in them. May all your stone cladding, superficiality be God just remove it from you and may He free you today to trust him, to wait on him, to stay with Jesus, to be with him as a person, regardless of what's going on externally around you. May you become immovable in Jesus. May you be free, and may his joy, even amidst great sorrow, permeate your life, dominate your life, fill you, and may the blessings of God be on you, that you too may be a blessing as you leave this place. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you, everybody. Thank you.